27 minutes past 10. Uh, I'm Mark Leishman. This is RNZ Nights. And always around a bit this time, on a Wednesday, we have our midweek media watch. And time to say good day to Colin Peacock. G'day, Mark. How are you? I've, I've, I've just had... Uh, a very severe, uh, what you call there a short back and sides, yes. which um, you weren't to know. But <laughs> Ginny would probably not be pleased to know uh, I had it done at home because my 15-year-old mm. cuts my hair and uh, usually leaves a bit on um, yeah. and sort of tries to do a bit of sculpturing. This time, took it all right back. Right. Right over the whole top, the, you know. You've got, you got a top bit. Yeah, pretty, I've very fast-growing <laughs> uh, but extremely grey hair. It grows out in a great big grey cloudy bush and he just took to it straight up put a fairly small comb on the front and just went straight in the front so I don't know about that peaky blinders look that Jenny mentioned he almost blinded me uh, with the clippers taking the front off but uh, look it, it works uh, these are serious times I needed a serious haircut yep. and that's what I have indeed indeed and with inflation I tell you what if you can get your 15 year old to do it you trust them enough that's that's great oh yeah, yeah. and, and uh, a discount rate uh, yeah. probably less than less than <laughs> Jenny charges so we've got plenty to talk about in our midweek media watch in fact last week Hayden was telling us about the Twitter labeling media organizations around the world such as RNZ uh, as government-funded and state-affiliated. Uh, and many of them, including RNZ, objected. H- has that been resolved in any way? Uh, yes, uh, it has, but in a very strange uh, way it's been resolved. And it's it's happened in a kind of chaotic way that seems fairly typical of the way Twitter's been run since uh, Mr Musk uh, took control six months ago this week, it just happens to be. Uh, and I, I don't, by the time we finish this, maybe uh, he'll have changed it back again. Who knows? But as Hayden explained last week really well, uh, the government-funded or state-affiliated labels were added to, to Twitter accounts in the past. Those have been given to accounts like, for example, um, the state news agency of North Korea, uh, and that's effectively to highlight to the uh, the otherwise unknowing that, look, what you're looking at is messages coming from the propaganda arm of a totalitarian state. Mm. And Elon Musk clearly had decided that he thought there should be a bit more information or a bit more of a health warning attached to outlets that were you know, publicly funded or attached to government in some way in other types of countries. So Twitter's own guidelines said that if an organisation was tagged as government-funded, the definition they used was maybe subject to some editorial control by the government. So that's the reason that public media outfits like RNZ or the BBC, uh, Australia's ABC, the CBC in Canada, they all objected because, of course, they have charters or actual legislation that that forbids governments from taking any editorial um, leverage over them or or operational control. And when RNZ looked into this and wanted to get an actual response from Twitter, uh, poor old Kirsty Frame, RNZ reporter, uh, discovered that they weren't really uh, inclined to take her request particularly seriously when she inquired for Morning Report last week. RNZ contacted Twitter for comment via its general media email account and received an auto-reply of a poo emoji. Well, that's a bit old-fashioned. <laughs> well, I mean, in, in a way, maybe that's funny, you know, that these are new companies and they don't do things the traditional way. But look, in another way, it really isn't because most modern media companies have to engage with the, the rest of business and the rest of the media pretty responsibly. They make statements, have spokespeople, um, and they're proper companies. They respond mm. to media requests properly, or they should. Mm. And big tech platforms have always annoyed 
journalists and the rest of the media because they're very hard to get a response from. Say, particularly from New Zealand, they have very few staff. They used to have none at all. And reasonable and newsworthy requests for information, I've experienced this myself, you know, they get shuttled off to someone in Australia, or in the past, this was definitely the case, and ignored entirely. You might get an email back, you know, some weeks later, go, oh, sorry, you know, sorry, Mm. yeah, um, look, do you want me to, you know, do you still want to follow up on this? Like, they they didn't really... they weren't that bothered. About they don't take it seriously, basically, is what you're saying. Well, well, I, I think it was more like they were behaving like they didn't really need the media. This mm. was just an annoyance. And in part, that's because they've always had this attitude, um, and I'm generalizing here, but the big mm. ones like Facebook, Google, and so on, they would say, look, we're just platforms for ideas. We're just pipes for the content of other people. We're not media outlets. We're not editorial. We don't have that kind of mm. policy. But, of course, they employed lots of people. They have to deal with commercial regulations, all sorts of stuff. They do know about the nuances of dealing with uh, the the legal and social frameworks of other countries. So when you see something like this verification fiasco, this um, the blue tick uh, that verified accounts on Twitter and mm. this business of tagging things as government or state affiliated, that's an editorial judgment. Mm. And I think an episode like this shows just how bad they can be, and Twitter particularly under Mr. Musk, uh, mm. when they really have to make those judgments. Uh, but anyway, yeah, the, this particular problem for the likes of RNZ and other public media companies of this government-funded tag just went away because they just simply vanished overnight late last week. Why was that? Well, uh, the blue tick thing that I mentioned there, the yeah. verification information, just was removed. So Elon Musk has always wanted to make money out of this, that people should pay for their verification for their accounts. So what they did was pretty much without warning, although some people said they had seen this coming, was just remove the blue tick of verification. So this is something that gives the users of Twitter some assurance that if you're reading the account of, for example, RNZ or the US State Department or Lord or, or Starbucks or anything like that, that it is in fact carrying their messages and not those just of some imposter or mischief maker or troll. Um, And Twitter just took that away from, I think, around 400,000 accounts that had these blue tick verifications. And now they'll only be found on the ones who have paid for it, as um, as, uh, the, the Twitter under Musk management has requested. Or it seems Twitter has also applied the tick unilaterally to accounts that have really big followings, you know, which are important to Twitter themselves. Mm. Um, so it, it, it's it's very strange. So in the process of doing that, that is why all those tags, government funded and state uh, affiliated, uh, were simply wiped away as well. Now, how many accounts are, are still verified and identified as such? Uh, are there any left? Well, it's hard to know. I've heard seen an estimate of about 600,000. Um, but where it gets really strange is, I think, as we've heard in the, the news in the last couple of days, Elon Musk has said personally uh, that he has paid for, uh, whether that means literally out of his own pocket or just getting Twitter to waive the fee, but paid for the verification on lots of those high-value, large-following accounts. But that includes people who didn't want him to (laughs) and have been telling their followers that they didn't want it. And so, for example, the basketball pro LeBron James, who has, you know, huge millions of followers, and the writer Stephen King, who has engaged and um, tried to provoke uh, Elon Musk Uh, on a fair few occasions, they've both gone public to say, well, we never asked for this. And this is absurd that a company is is ascribing a service uh, to to people who 
who never uh, applied for it. Yeah, and the implication (laughs) is that they had agreed to pay the company what they wanted and surrendered a phone number and contact details that they'd gone through a process of saying, yes, I want to be verified. Um, And and they've also, uh, as as the critics have been pointed out, combing the accounts, a lot of people who are dead, like the... um, the Hollywood star Chadwick Boseman, who died a couple of years ago, still has an account that's verified. So does former Venezuelan president Hugo Chavez, who's been dead for almost 10 years. <laughs> so if the, if the vast bulk of these accounts that were once flagged as verified are no longer labelled that way, does that mean, you know, I guess leave the way open for endless spoof accounts and imposters? Yes. Yes. And it, that's already happening. Uh, it's getting chaotic. So... For example, just locally, there have been several accounts uh, that have labelled themselves as Christopher Luxon and put a little image on which uh, pretty much mimics the, the one that he has on his official account and then posting outrageous responses to issues in the news. So we've seen quite a few of those in the Media Watch Twitter feed popping up. And you have to look twice. You look at it mm. and say, oh, right, OK, and pretty quickly you realise if you have any kind of uh, <laughs> critical thinking <laughs> that, that this is a spoof. And it's just so easy to do now, now that the, the verification is also haywire. Uh, another one uh, that I had to look at twice was somebody sending out messages that at first glance looked like official ones from Auckland Transport. And one of these in the weekend said, uh, uh, warning everyone, today um, trains will be replacing buses on services <laughs> in Auckland, which is you know, the reverse of the usual uh, yes. thing. But of course, you know, definitely not the case. So again, that that's fairly funny, but uh, it could cause... It could cause people some confusion. And, I mean, it's just not the way to run any kind of of proper business. And then it gets worse because not only the dead have had their accounts um, propped up and verified, also the disgraced. So, for instance, uh, Twitter has verified a previously banned far-right party in the UK called Britain First. Uh, They're now verified as an official organization and they've been giving blue ticks to people affiliated with it Mm. so its leader is a guy called uh paul golding who has actually been convicted in court in the uk um for uh launching so-called christian patrols and urging mosque invasions you know which is which is clearly serious Mm -hmm. stuff so yeah as i mentioned earlier there is an estimate i've read that there are about six hundred thousand subscribers uh that have signed up to this it's called twitter blue the new verification mm-hmm. service we also get a few other privileges like you can write longer tweets you can use italics i think and things like that <laughs> uh you also have i think the dubious privilege of having access to a service that will make you your, your own nft avatar if mm. you should want one of those um but another estimate says look this will be probably pulling in something like four million a month in revenue these subscribers um but twitter is going to need uh, says this analyst a lot more people signing up to offset um the advertising that they're losing with the way they've been conducting themselves and you know it seems that by now that musk has now cr- created a twitter blue service that very few or not nearly enough people would actually want to pay for. So, yeah, it's not working. It's been a tough year for Elon Musk, really. I mean, he seems to have made a real mess of Twitter, but he has those other businesses. I mean, we'll look, it seems if you can afford them, the Tesla cars, they seem to be extremely popular. The aerospace business, SpaceX, um, you know, these are working, although there was a crash last week, wasn't there? But this, <laughs> <laughs> this may not be such a big drama for him. Is it just a bit of idle, you know, 
daytime stuff that he's got to think about. I think so. I mean, because he didn't want to do the deal in the first place yeah. when he realised that he'd actually agreed to it on terms that he later tried to back out of. But as we know, he has uh, money to burn, um, which is probably just as well because just before this blue tick fiasco, as you mentioned there, the the the, uh, the launch of the um, the SpaceX rocket uh, in Texas, and Musk was right there in the mission control. Um, and you know, which I would have thought if, if I was if I was running a you know bleeding edge uh, space uh, high risk endeavor like that, I don't think I'd want Elon Musk in the control room. Anyhow, this was touted this launch as uh, a step towards another moon landing because NASA is interested in these rockets uh, that they're launching, uh, and even it's been described as the first steps to you know really um, long haul plans to colonize Mars. So you know these are big lofty goals. So as you would have seen in the news, the rocket took off, began to fall back to Earth, I think after about four minutes or so. Uh, not all the engines fired up and they had to blow it up, or in the words of SpaceX, uh, they called it a rapid unscheduled disassembly, which basically is blowing it up before it could do any damage coming back to Earth. But weirdly, this was described as a success by some, uh, including, uh, this is how it was reported on uh, TVNZ's One News at Six. Despite the fireworks, SpaceX's founder Elon Musk is selling it as a resounding success. He'd warned this might happen. One of the main goals was for it to just rise past its expensive launch infrastructure. And with other rockets at the ready, Musk tweeting much had been learned for the next test launch in a few months. The rocket flew for about three minutes. But in those three minutes, SpaceX was recording and downloading thousands of data channels. I guess, I guess there's some logic in that. I mean, they have more rockets. There's been lots of failures in space missions in the past, and they eventually, well, most of them sort of succeeded in the end, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, so sure. I mean, there are people pointing and laughing at Elon Musk, you know, ha-ha, billionaire, blew up several billion dollars in one go. Um, but, yes, of course, the, the, we know uh, the history of spaceflight has, you know, these fairly... Um, these fairly, uh, you know, awful consequences and things go wrong and that's how they learn and get it right the next time. But um, I don't think news organisations ought to go with the Elon Musk take that this was all a, a success and, and possibly even part of the plan in this case. So on Tuesday, uh, the Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA, the you know US authority or regulator, grounded this uh, program, the Starship Super Heavy rocket launch program. Uh, partly that's been described as what you would expect when there's a, a, a failure like this, um, that you, you can't go up till it's been investigated. But NBC News has been reported uh, been reporting that they didn't at all accurately predict uh, that part of the launch pad would be destroyed. Initially, it was reported that that wasn't the problem. They've got the spare rockets uh, and that the launch facility was fine, but apparently it isn't. So the fact that it blew up uh, or that it took off in the way that it did, there was particle, uh, particulate matter spread over a, a range of about six miles all the way up to a town called Port Isabel and South Padre Island. This was not uh, discussed as a possibility. In fact, they said it, it wouldn't happen. Uh, experts who look at it say usually when you have uh, a rocket of the scale, um, there's a kind of slipway, a deep trench built in uh, that's reinforced in a way that wasn't for this one. There may be design reasons for it. Um, but NBC says there are images now that have been analysed by experts uh, which show that the launch pad, uh, parts of it broke up, concrete chunks from it flying in multiple directions, a big crater has been left there. So pretty big questions mm -hmm. now being asked about whether 
kind of debris that was actually thrown up by the rocket might have contributed to the failure of the rockets because you could see in the images that a lot of them hadn't lit up. Mm. Um, I think it was supposed to be 33 and, you know, maybe six or seven simply hadn't and that contributed to failure. So if it was, I mean, clearly, what do I know? Uh, I'm no <laughs> rocket scientist. Um, but, but uh, you know, it looks like people on the day saying, oh, well, Elon Musk says it's all part of the plan. Uh, I'm a bit surprised that they've gone with this because I think there's a bit more to it. Not really a success in my book if I was writing that story. Okay, well, let's turn to another billionaire media mogul. Late last week, Rupert Murdoch's Fox News settled a giant libel suit uh, that could have cost his, his company billions. Yeah, and this happened, I think, just after uh, Midweek Media Watch last Wednesday. Mm. Um, now, the case could have seen uh, the top anchors at Fox News and Murdoch himself, Rupert Murdoch, uh, the chairman of Fox and and News Corporation, in the dock. Um, And as we know from the reports and the discovery of documents that uh, Dominion Voting Systems uh, insisted upon, you know, they knew that what Trump was saying was nonsense and uh, and recycled it anyway on Fox News. Uh, But at virtually the last second, uh, they settled and paid out uh, almost 800 million U.S., dollars to a voting machine company, Dominion Voting Systems, which is worth a fraction of that sum. So that's quite a win. But one of the benefits of them doing this, it means that they don't have to apologise. In a way, it's actually the reverse of what often happens in New Zealand, where there's a settlement uh, and for, for a defamation or libel, and it'll be confidential. And you'll never find out um, what, what it costs. Even if it's a government agency spending public money, you'll never find out what the settlement was. In this case, you do. But it does mean that they don't have to apologise to Dominion under the terms of the settlement or go on air to their own viewers uh, to whom they were saying this stuff that wasn't true uh, and explain uh, that the Trump claims of a stolen election were uh, nonsense, but they'd said the opposite to them Mm. on the air. It's also how Fox could end up making an official statement that says, you know, some of what we said was untrue, but we do uphold the highest journalistic standards. And that was um, something which is the video of it has gone viral. Jake Tapper at CNN, you know, struggled uh, to read it out without breaking into laughter. Of course, CNN are top rivals, aren't they, of Fox News? Um, (laughs) So they'd be loving this, wouldn't they? Oh, yes. And they would have been loving it all the more if it had all played out in court uh, at, mm. as, as it appeared that it was going to at one point. Um, I mean, that's a prospect a lot of people, I think, in the media were looking forward to. One of them, uh, certainly, uh, who is now very disappointed, um, Stephen Colbert on The Late hmm. Show. Damn it! I want my trial! I want it! You were supposed to provide me six weeks of delicious content! I wanted to see Rupert Murdoch put his hand on the Bible and burst into flames. <laughs> he really didn't want to see that. Um, another take on this, uh, just across the Atlantic from the UK. This is a daily uh, news podcast called The News Agents. It's hosted by um, a bunch of former BBC people uh, who are now um, branching out and cutting a bit loose uh, in a way they couldn't when they were with uh, the BBC. And one of the hosts is uh, the former Washington reporter of the BBC, uh, John Sopel. In a courtroom in Wilmington, Delaware, yesterday afternoon, life was imitating art. And for those of you who love succession, the real Logan Roy, a.k.a. Rupert Murdoch, was having to shell out nearly a billion dollars, not from Waco, but from Fox, to settle a libel action brought by Dominion voting machines. 
lots of people have been drawing similar parallels with the Succession TV series, uh, you know, John Sopel there, of course. But what is the consensus on precisely why they paid out and didn't fight this case in court? One reason is, as we mentioned there, so they didn't have to apologise. They could uh, kind of hide it from their not very curious uh, viewers of Fox News. Yeah. But the thing is, look, once the, the initially they'd argued it was a First Amendment thing, basically that Donald Trump had exercised his free speech, they stole the election, and this voting machine company and others were in on it. Uh, they said, look, we just we're just repeating what the former, what the president said. What's the problem with that? But of course, in the discovery of those documents, we know that they knew it was all false, so they didn't have a leg to stand on really um, once uh, they had no wiggle room with that. So they couldn't have avoided that spectacle of all that dirty laundry coming out, all the the behind-the-scenes duplicity being exposed even more. Uh, 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 Rupert Murdoch himself would just not have wanted to be in that position of of having to be uh, in court. Um, It's even before that um, the settlement was actually reached, I was reading a briefing by the uh, British analyst Claire Enders, who Right, it's very detailed kind of business and a kind of risk analysis type stuff about the media. She was predicting that a settlement could come any day and she, she guessed it would be about 500 million US. And she said that is less of a thorny issue, uh, Fox and Murdoch having to pay that, than um, Dominion Voting Systems' demand for a public apology. So that's how important she thought it was to them. She said the Murdoch empire can take and absorb such a shock. Um, and, of course, it's, it's got something like $4 billion in the bank, I believe, so they can afford it and can raise more if they really needed to, and there's all Murdoch's other businesses. Uh, but she also made the point that Murdoch has paid out in total, she says, more than $1 billion, I guess that's US dollars, uh, in the last decade relating to the phone hacking mm. inquiry. This was in the UK newspapers, you know, that whole episode. And if you recall... Rupert Murdoch then did have to front up at televised live parliamentary hearings in the UK. And I remember there was that famous bit where he sat down and before he was questioned, he said, can I just say, can I just say, first of all, I just want you to, to say, tell you this is the most humble day of my life. And, uh, you know, it was quite a quite a moment there. And then someone jumped out from the audience uh, later in the public gallery, hit him with a shaving cream pie, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, uh, Rupert Murdoch did close down his lucrative and top-selling British tabloid, which was the News of the World, which was the paper most mm. implicated in this phone-hacking uh, skullduggery, which was illegal and completely unethical. So, you know, Murdoch has shown he's willing to um, to cut ties, to, to cut the cancer, if you like. He really didn't want to go through that again. That would have been another reason they were prepared to pay what, what's still a pretty epic sum of nearly 800 mm-hmm. million US. But there will be more. There's another voting machine company, for example, uh, as well as individual lawsuits against um, people like the lawyer Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani, uh, who repeated all of uh, Trump's stuff and said the same things about some of the same people being in on the stolen election. Uh, and this other uh, Smartmatic is the other voting system company. They've said they will not uh, settle their suit without a public apology. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it could all it could all be uh, drawn out, and um, there, there may be more that Rupert Murdoch has to front up to yet. But of course, he's a, an old man now. Um, will this harm his legacy in a, in a big way? Do you think? 
Yeah, 92 years old, so not much time to get it back. I mean, that, that's the thing. As people were saying, John Sopel in that, uh, that the British uh, um, correspondent in, in the newsagent podcast was saying, look, this guy was a, a dedicated newspaper man. His father, before, this is a legacy, the Murdoch legacy, goes back more than a century to Keith Murdoch, you know, beating the censors and telling the truth about uh, Gallipoli, you know, seeing as it's um, Anzac week. Uh, also, Rupert Murdoch himself, you know, business visionary, he created the English Premier League in football. That was a huge, risky investment, uh, which has created a massive industry out of something that was really going downhill in English football. Now it's a, it's a worldwide money-making factory. So this Fox News thing, business-wise and, you know, journalism-wise, is a total disgrace, really. Um, but, you know, even then, the settlement makes sense, just like it did with the phone hacking. Kill that newspaper, make a gesture, pay the money, um, and just ride, ride it through. In fact, on that News Agents podcast, um, there was a very interesting interview with a former editor of Murdoch's tabloid, The Sun. This is his British tabloid daily paper. It's a guy called David Yelland. And, you know, he, uh, a long-time journalist, summed up the undermining of journalism in this Fox News case and, and of truth uh, in this way. Tucker Carlson, Lou Dobbs, Maria Bartolome, many of these journalists, these are people I've known for a long time. They came from really good places, from CNBC, from CNN. And I don't know what's happened to them or to journalism, but it has become permissible to lie, to make things up, and to book people onto programmes who you know lie. Rupert cannot afford to stand up and admit that Fox News tells lies for a living. But I do think that our generation of journalists, quite a lot of us, have allowed their entire careers to be corrupted, and that this is a really big problem. Well, he mentioned uh, Tucker Carlson there, and of course, Tucker Carlson's parted ways with Fox News. What well, yesterday, I think, wasn't it? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, will that and all these other disclosures have any impact on Murdoch's style? I mean, he, he's still very much in charge, I assume. Yes, and I think that is the style. I think it's very similar to that phone hacking, the handling of that and closing the, the news of the world. Some media outlets are actually reporting straight out Rupert Murdoch fired Tucker Carlson. I don't know what the truth is, but he clearly become a bit of a liability to the company. Um, but, you know, that, that interview there with David Yelland, that editor of The Sun, I mean, I worked in the UK when he was the editor of that paper, and he used to repeatedly deny all this nonsense that Mer- Rupert gets on the phone, tells us what to say, how to swing elections. doesn't happen. And then later, I mean, he's saying that so when he's talking about what happened to these fox news people that work for other outlets and somehow started becoming you know involved in this corrupt enterprise and willingly lying and being, i mean he knows he knows how that's happened i'm not saying he's as, as guilty of the same sort of crimes against journalism as these others but i mean he absolutely knows i remember getting one phone call one day working on a BBC News program and the sun rang up and said, we're just letting you know, mate, tomorrow you know, one of your presenters is on the front page. Um, you know, drugs allegations, you know, you might want to get your ducks in a row. And you're thinking, well, who is it? And they wouldn't say it. They loved it. You know, they loved this stuff. Um, and, you know, there were all sorts of stuff going on. So I think it will be interesting. Um, but Rupert Murdoch, as you say, 92 years old. I mean, this, this absolutely, that is his style and it, mm. it simply can't go on forever. Although, of course, there is a family and there will be a... Um, 
through the word succession. <laughs> Another series. Mm. <laughs> Earlier we heard the claim of life imitating art with reference to that uh, HBO series, Succession. Uh, is, is that fair or is the media just getting carried away and confusing <laughs> fact and fiction? Well, I, I thought so because last time we spoke about this, I had to admit I'd only seen a few episodes. Yes. Uh, in fact, you came right out and said it, um, you know, look, it's about the Murdochs. Or, mm. um, but, and I, I wasn't even too sure that it was. was. That's how ignorant I was. But look, it, it is if, <laughs> if you believe Rupert Murdoch and, and Vanity Fair magazine. So there's a, a current uh, issue, fe- uh, sorry, a feature in the current issue called Inside Rupert Murdoch's Succession Drama, which says that Rupert's son Lachlan told Rupert uh, that James Murdoch, another son, was leaking stories to the writers of Succession. A person close to James, according to Vanity Fair, said Catherine, which is James Murdoch's wife, this really is like a soap opera, believed that PR operatives aligned with Rupert and Lachlan were digging up dirt on them, and Lachlan, meanwhile, had to flee L.A. because the Murdoch legacy was getting too toxic. Mm. And then later in the same story, it says... Uh, at the age of nine, 91, uh, Rupert Murdoch blew up his fourth marriage by text message uh, telling Jerry Hall that my New York lawyer will be in touch uh, immediately. And one of the terms of the settlement was that Jerry Hall couldn't give story ideas to the writers on succession. <laughs> and it says, when she settled into the Oxfordshire home she received in the divorce in the UK, she discovered surveillance cameras were sending footage back to the Fox TV headquarters. Mick Jagger sent his security consultant along to disconnect them. Whether that's true or not, I really don't know. I mean, it would seem to be risky because Murdoch likes to sue and has millions of dollars, although given the way his last court battle went, maybe it it is safe to take him on. Don't know, but all that sounds like a screenplay right there, doesn't it? Doesn't it just? Well, it would be great to have Mick Jagger in the next series. <laughs> just, he, he should personally come and clip the wires on those um, those security cameras. There you are, Jerry, dial in that Sorted that out for you. Mm. Now, there was another legal action stemming from this in Australia, a defamation case uh, brought by Rupert's son, Lachlan. Yeah, yeah. This is crikey.com. It's a Australian subscriber-based, uh, slightly gossipy, but quite... Um, it's, it's legitimate journalism, and it's staffed by former mainstream um, Sydney Morning Herald editors and so on. Um, so they published a story back in June 2000. And 22, uh, which took on the the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol in the US and Washington. The piece called Donald Trump a traitor and and called Lachlan Murdoch his unindicted co-conspirator because of his role in spreading the stolen election story on Fox. So uh, according to Lachlan Murdoch, he said, look, you're not not serious about this. You're just trying to drive subscriptions uh, to uh, Crikey, to your digital publication. and if Murdoch's lawyers had persuaded the court that that really was the motivation rather than actual uh, the truth or public interest, um, Murdoch could have won that case, the experts say. So why did he drop it? Well, because same reason as the Dominion case in the US. They just didn't want uh, the evidence to be heard on open court in Australia because if it had happened there uh, after you know they didn't have the chance to see it happen in the US, uh, the world's media would have been watching the courts in Australia. So that's the reason. And Lachlan Murdoch probably would have had to be cross-examined too. Well, Colin, we've only got a couple of minutes left. So what would you like to continue with? Um, Last week, I think a fortnight ago, in fact, we were talking about the LA Times publishing a spoof obituary for a a succession (laughs) character, which, uh, yes, no spoiler alerts anymore, I guess. But uh, it revealed a plot twist before many of its readers had seen the episode, and we were very careful enough not to do that spoiler, but... uh, 
how did it all work out in the yeah, end? Yeah, I reckon we were careful, but um, Jack Tame of TVNZ got in touch to say, actually, on the on the Sunday after, so we talked about it on the Wednesday, and the episode had only gone out a couple of days, but we didn't yes. mention the character who died. Um, but uh, when I talked about it on the Sunday show, I trailed our midweek media watch for people who'd missed it, and mm. in that one, I did name the character who had died, <laughs> figuring, look, it's almost a week after. Any sure. fan is going to know by now, surely. Uh, but Jack Tame of TVNZ got in touch to point out that what I'd actually done there was, you know, in the Wednesday, not talked about a spoiler, then trailed it by spoiling it. So I trailed an <laughs> item on which we carefully hadn't spoiled it by actually spoiling it before you got to hear it. So that, I guess, is inconsistent. So I'd have to give him that, although I still believe a week later, you know, if you're a fan, you surely would have known. Others in the gun for succession spoilers, eh, as well as you and the LA Times. Yeah, and uh, so this is... Um, the culture website Vulture, an offshoot of New York Magazine, so possibly we could go out on this. They got the, their culture reviewers got strong criticism uh, for um, basically writing about the uh, the outcome of that episode and the death. And someone said, "Hey, I searched to find out what time the show was on, and a Google search told me your headline, which gave the game away." This is the writers saying they're not sympathetic to that feedback. Hello. I've attached a screenshot of what I saw after Googling Succession to find out the time of when it would be on. A spoiler for the episode in the headline of your review on Vulture.com. I doubt I am the only person for which you ruined the episode. Thanks a lot. And then a middle finger emoji. My question. (laughs) A middle finger emoji? Oh, yeah. My question. Why don't you know what time Succession is on if you care that much about the show? Why are you Googling it in episode three? It's season four, dude. It's season four. You should know. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. That's a good slap back at spoiling the spoilers, (laughs) I would say.